We're talking this morning about prayer from Luke chapter 11. And um, I think we all think we know what prayer is and what prayer is about and, and how we, we should approach God in prayer. And I hope this morning in our text that we'll, uh, we'll look at prayer a little differently than we normally do. Um, experts in different fields will tell you that persistence is more important than talent. Has anyone ever heard that before? Persistence is more important than talent. They say that people who um, succeed in life are not deterred by uh, the failure of initial results. Uh, They try and they try and they try again until they attain their goals. And it's not just the desire to succeed, but the confidence that what they're after is worthwhile and noble and worthy of their time. And it's not only worthy of their time, but countless hard hours of uh, hard work and persistence. Uh, The 30th president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, once said this, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Thomas Edison said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. And Winston Churchill said, Success consists of going from failure to failure, without loss of enthusiasm. And scripture speaks of eternal salvation as something that belongs to those who persevere or persist unto the very end. Success in prayer is a matter of persistence. A persistence that's born out of the knowledge that God hears our prayers as a father hears his children. Success in prayer is a direct result of persistence, being successful in prayer. At least that's how Jesus gives us the picture here in our text this morning. And the challenge, of course, to this idea that we ought to persist in prayer, that our prayer lives should be rigorous and, and, uh, and energetic, and we ought to approach prayer um, persistently, it's, that's interrupted by a lot of different things. It, one of those is, if you're like me, if you're like me, you tend to approach prayer, you tend to approach God uh, like a you know, supreme potentate instead of a loving father who delights in me as his child, right? We go to God, and instead of going to God with this sense of confidence that God is our father, like a child would go to their father, we approach God distant. We approach God in, in some kind of cold and removed way. But that's not how God wants us to approach him. You know, fathers delight in giving their kids good things. God, when he designed the human being, he made it so that children, when they're infants, they cry when they need something. They cry when they're hungry or they cry when when they need changing or when it's time to go night-night. They cry because, of course, they can't articulate themselves. Crying gets mom and dad's attention. And in the Psalms, David wrote, In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God, 
I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. Prayer is the cry of the soul to God. God hears us when we cry out to him in prayer. God responds to us when we pray. And if you're down or discouraged this morning, the first thing you should ask yourself is, have I prayed yet? If you find yourself in a place of despair or discouragement, and this is the first thing I tell people, especially my wife and my children, is have you prayed yet about this? Have you been praying? That is the first thing you should check on your list. If you find yourself in despair or in discouragement or without hope, have you prayed? Well, there are a few factors we're going to look at as we read through our text this morning that I want to keep in front of us and I want you to look for as we read through. And it's these two things that help open our eyes to what it means to pray successfully or pray the way God wants us to pray. And the number one, it's God is a loving Father. And number two, persistence matters. So let's take a look at our text this morning and read through Luke 11, 1 through 13. The Word of God. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me, I cannot get up to give you anything? There's a question mark there, in other words saying, is that the response you would get? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence... He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, in the same way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how, sinners, in other words, if you who are sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this word from Jesus about prayer and about how we should think about coming to you in prayer. We pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and convict us and convince us of this truth and, Lord, the ways that maybe if our hearts or our minds are thinking wrongly about prayer, help us to think rightly. Help us to understand your heart for us, to hear our deepest longings, and, Lord, to hear us um, articulate to you in prayer what we need and what we long and desire for. Lord, we pray that you would transform us, that we leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name, amen. 
Well, as we read through that, I hope you look for those two factors, the fatherhood of God and the idea of persistence. And as we read through, it was bookended by the word father twice. I said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples. John taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say father. That's not a sin to say God when you pray. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says, when you pray, say Father. There's something about saying the words Father in prayer that opens our hearts in a way that nothing else seems to do because God's relationship to us is a familiar relationship. We're in the family of God. Now, if you grew up uh, with a father, you hopefully have memories of being able to go to dad when you were in need and dad being kind and giving you what you need. In fact, if you were a little, little kid, you didn't care. You cried and whined for what you needed. And dad or mom gave you what you needed. And Jesus says, when you pray, say father. And we might think this is somehow um, less formal or less reverent than saying God or one of God's Old Testament names like Yahweh or Adonai. But the idea is that it's, it's not only intimate, but it's incredibly reverent, right? Father, hallowed be your name. The idea is not that God's name is something else, but that now God's name for us is Father. That the unique relationship we have with God because of Jesus Christ is that of father and children. We're in the family of God. We have access to God in a way we did not before Jesus Christ came. And then he ends the prayer by saying, Will not your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And what's instructive for us when we think about Jesus is that Jesus prayed this way. Jesus prayed, Father. In fact, when you read Jesus' own prayers, he prayed this way. Jesus talked to God this way. Jesus called God Father. In fact, there's one place where he felt rejected by God On the cross, the cry of dereliction, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. But everywhere else, he refers to God in prayer as Father. So whatever men think about God, Christians ought to think about God as their Father. So that's the first lesson of prayer. First lesson of prayer is you ought to think about God as Father. You ought to approach God as a Father. As your father. You're a child of God. And until you function in prayer according to that relationship, you'll struggle to pray confidently and boldly. And it's with confidence and boldness that God wants us to come to him, not timid and afraid. And sometimes I think we we confuse the boundaries between reverence and access, but we can still be reverent and come boldly and confidently. Reverence, yes, but not timid and afraid. And sometimes there are a lot of things that interrupt that confidence. If there are habitual sins in our lives, if there are things harboring secret hidden sins in our life, of course, that prevents us often from coming boldly to God. But God wants us to come boldly to him as his children. We're God's kids, if I can put it that way. Now, typically, preachers will say a lot about the structure of the Lord's Prayer. Now, as we read the Lord's Prayer, 
For those of you who are familiar, you should have been thinking, that's not the Lord's Prayer, I know. And that's not the Lord's Prayer that we read early or on, earlier on in the service. That version comes from Matthew. So Matthew has a more fully orbed version of the Lord's Prayer. And the difference is, is that the fully orbed uh, version was Jesus giving the prayer in a sermon um, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. And here Jesus is giving kind of a parsed down, bare bones outline of the Lord's Prayer in response to a question from the disciples. So there are two different, um, two different venues, two different um, times Jesus is talking. And just as a quick side note, one of the things that's helpful for us as we read through the Gospels and we see stories that seem similar but different, something we ought to think about is Jesus was an itinerant preacher. That means he traveled. He was a traveling preacher. And we, ju- we talked a few weeks ago about how from Luke chapter 9 to Luke 19, Jesus is on his way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And he's going from city to city or village to village and town to town. And he's preaching and he's giving sermons and lessons. And so it's reasonable that Jesus would have said certain things multiple times. And like any preacher, he may have said them a little bit differently each time, if that makes sense. And so, of course, Jesus says the Lord's Prayer one way. Matthew has it recorded because it was a different venue. It was a different event. And so I don't want to spend too much time on the structure of the prayer. But just briefly, we can say that you'll notice that both in Matthew and Luke, there is praise petition, and confession. So if you want to know, well, how should I structure my prayers? At the very least, there should be praise, there should be confession of sin, and there should be petition. It's okay to ask God for things. But we ought to be praising God and thanking God and also confessing our sins every time we pray. Um, But Jesus is concerned to stress not only our confidence, but persistence before God in prayer. He wants us to be confident, as a child is confident to ask their father for something, but he wants us also to be persistent. And in verse 5, Jesus says, and this is me paraphrasing it, here's how I want you to think about prayer. Imagine you go to a friend in the middle of the night because you need something important. He says, a friend shows up from afar and you have nothing to give him. It's this huge inconvenience. Now, Now, let me take you back 20 centuries back into the ancient world of the first century, Judea and Samaria. And when you go to your neighbor's house, most people knew each other in a small village. And people of meager means lived in a one-room building, a one-room home. And the entire family would sleep on an elevated mat. And everybody would get in bed together. In other words, everybody would go to bed together. They would lie down together. And when there was lights out, you know, there wasn't a kid in another room on, a, you know, on the iPod. It was everyone's going to bed. And so you can imagine the inconvenience this is for the person whose door is being knocked on at all the wee hours of the night because the whole house is asleep. And a friend comes saying, look, there's someone coming in, and I've got nothing to give him, right? Hospitality in those days was a whole lot more... Uh, a whole lot bigger of an issue than it is today. If someone come to, came to our house out of town, we'd say, hey, look, I, you know, I've got a tortilla and a banana, but you're welcome to it. But that's all I got. I'm not going to the store now. Right? But in those days, the idea of hospitality was huge. And if you didn't have anything, that was a no-no. That, you couldn't let that stand. So, so this image that Jesus is giving is, this is important. You can't have nothing for a guest who comes over. 
And you go to your friend, and what does your friend say? Scram. We're all sleeping. You're going to wake everyone up. But Jesus says, he'll give in, not because you're such a good friend, but because of your, your impudence, because of your persistence. He'll get up and give you whatever you need. Now, what's implied in that story is not just bugging your neighbor or bugging God, but what's implied is that you receive what you ask for if you ask. You can't get your neighbor to give you anything if you don't ask them. And so what's implied is, number one, we have to ask. We need to ask. We, God wants us to ask. Does he know what we stand in need of before we even ask? Scripture says that, and the answer is yes. But God wants us to come to him. God wants us to ask. God wants us to make petition. And there are a lot of things in our life we wonder why God doesn't change, but it very well may be, I'm getting ahead of myself, the simple fact that we have not really appropriated those things in prayer and dedicated our hearts to bringing that before the Lord on an ongoing basis in prayer. God wants us to do that. God wants it. He delights in answering. God delights in hearing us in prayer. And this is what Jesus says in verse 9. Looking at that illustration he just gave, he says, So ask, seek, knock, like this person. In verse 10, he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If you ask, don't stop there. Search for it. And when you find it, knock on that door to have it open to you. And all of this implies that prayer is not simply a matter of waiting around for something to fall out of the sky. Right? You want the Lord to bless you with a home, you pray, Lord, bless us with a home, and then you go get you know, pre-qualified, and you talk to a loan officer and a real estate agent, and you search, and you do all these things. Right? Or whatever the case may be, you, you, you don't just ask, but you seek and you knock. And real prayer is anything but going through the motions. It's an insistent asking. It's a search that refuses to give up. And, and we, may be, we may be a little too polite with God. We may think, well, I asked. It didn't happen. I guess I'll just go back, you know, and... and do what I was doing before. I guess I'll stop asking God for that because I asked him once and it didn't happen. There is something in our hearts that God wants to cultivate through the process of going back to him again and again about certain things. Some things you pray about and it happens. Some things you pray about once, you leave it alone. Three months later, the Lord answers. And then some things we pray about, it seems nothing seems to happen but in the process of going back to the Lord over and over again, God is creating something, cultivating something in our hearts where God is our first line, not our last resort. That's what God wants. You've tried everything else, well, now let me pray about it. Well, that's, that's just the opposite of what God really wants. God wants to be the first resort. And prayer is not about God so much as it's about us. Prayer is not for God, it's for us. Something happens in the process of prayer where not only we're going to God, but our hearts are oriented to the things God wants to give us. 
when we pray over time, when, if we're consistent and persistent, we start praying for different things. Because our hearts become connected with the very heart of God, and we start praying for the things that God wants for us. And so God is not an irritated friend like the person in this illustration Jesus gives. He's a loving father, better and more loving than earthly fathers. And in verse 11, he picks this up. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Fish and eggs were nourishment, food, right? If you then, who are evil or if you then, who are sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father, right? How much more the Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, desires to nourish us, desires to give us good things. And here in this passage, he says, the Holy Spirit, right? God's own Spirit. Right? In other words, the idea is there's nothing God, nothing good God will withhold from us. He'll give us even his own spirit. And that's the whole idea, is good things God does not withhold from us. Now, sometimes we pray for whimsical things. I remember the time when my son asked for an electric guitar. Not unlike the time I asked for an electric guitar when I was in the seventh grade, because I had a friend who played, and I went home, and I was, you know, he, he played a couple you know, tunes, and I just, I asked my parents for electric guitar. And my son, he was, I think, right around the same age, and, you know, my wife was going to clamor, you know, to figure out how we could do it. And I go, no, no, just give him some time. You know, and I followed it up a month later. I said, hey, do you still want electric, electric guitar? He goes, ah, no, I'm over that. <laughs> Parenting, success. And, you know, God is like that sometimes with us, with our prayers. Sometimes we pray or desire whimsical things that we need some time, some distance from, where we can realize that wasn't that big of a deal. At the moment, it felt like a really big deal. And so God desires to give us good things. He knows the things that are truly good for us. He wants to nourish us. God wants to bless us. And God longs to answer prayer. Now, I want to take a moment to address maybe the thought that's in the back of your mind that's been nagging you since I started talking, which is, well, God doesn't seem to always answer my prayers, right? Some of you are thinking that, and that is true. And there's a few ways to get at this, and the first is there's a lot more to be said about prayer from Scripture, and this certainly is not an exhaustive exposition Everything that can be said about prayer, prayer is a big topic, and there are a lot of things we need to understand when we talk about prayer. But what Jesus is getting at here in this passage is wanting us to be in a regular habit and being comfortable enough to approach God for all of our needs in prayer daily. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to see that part of a healthy Christian life, part of a healthy walk with God is prayer, the kind of intimate prayer that approaches God daily, not only in praise and confession, but also petition for the things we need. And I think we think, because maybe we're this way towards one another, that somehow we're bugging God or getting on God's nerves or, you know, 
we, we really shouldn't bring, we should only bring really important things to God. You know, the big things, which is kind of silly because everything is little to God. It's big to us, but everything is really little to God. But God wants us to bring it all to him, bring it all before him. And I think you'll find, if you start praying that way, you'll start noticing God's hand in a whole lot more areas of your life than you currently notice. If you start bringing everything to God, meetings and developments and things at work and everything, relationships, everything before God, you'll start noticing and seeing God moving in more ways. God is always moving in our lives, but our eyes are not always open to it. And so what prayer does is it opens our eyes to see how God is moving, because when you pray for something, you're looking for how God is moving in that area. So God wants us to be comfortable approaching him with all of our needs and not feel like we're bothering him because he delights in us. Um, And he wants us to approach him. Now, the word impudence can mean persistence, but it can also mean a shameless asking. So when we say God wants us to be comfortable approaching him, it means that God does not want us to feel embarrassed about asking him for all the things that are on our heart. That's what he means in verse 8 by this impudent request. It doesn't care what anyone else thinks. It's, look, God, this is where I'm at, and this is what's going on in my heart and my life, and this is what I need. And secondly, and I mentioned this before, our hearts are aligned. The more we pray, the more we're plugged into God's own very heart for us, and we start asking for the things that he wants to give us. How much more, he says, will the Heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, hint, 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 ask for the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what's implied in that passage there. John Calvin says, To know that God is the dispenser of all good things, yet not ask him for what we need, would be like a man knowing of buried treasure, yet scorning it by leaving it hidden in the ground. God's love and power and and compassion for us, it's like buried treasure just waiting to be dug up. As his children, as blood-bought believers, God loves us. And he wants the very best for us. And prayer uncovers that treasure. And so I want to encourage you this morning... If that's not how you're praying, if I'm talking about praying this morning in a way that just doesn't sound like the prayer life you have, that's okay, but I just want to encourage you and challenge you to test God in prayer. You know, when they say to Jesus, how should we pray? And he says, um, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, those are imperatives, We're actually praying to God in a way that is, in some way, kind of making a demand of God. I don't mean some type of irreverent ordering God around or bossing God around, but it's this idea that Jesus is telling us, you have permission to boldly, in petition and in prayer, to kind of make these sort of demands from God. Forgive us. Give us this day our daily bread. There is a boldness there. There is a confidence there. Those are imperatives from the person praying to God. And God says, yes, bring that to me. Give that to me. Through prayer, God protects us from unseen evils. 
He makes us ready to receive all of his blessings and benefits with thanksgiving and gratitude so that when God blesses us, we recognize it. There's so many blessings in our lives that we don't even recognize. Our eyes aren't open to. But prayer opens our eyes and our hearts to those things. And God wants to be our only refuge. Again, prayer should be our first resort, not our last resort. May we have a persistence in prayer that is born out of this knowledge that God is a loving Father who hears us as a Father hears His children. Let's pray.